Good morning. Greetings to each of you in the Master's name this morning. It is a privilege to gather together, and it's especially a privilege to gather together with you. I was thinking about coming to church this morning and thinking about the faces that I see when I bring a message, and it warmed my heart to think about sharing a message with my church family this morning. So, um, yeah, I just appreciate you all as a congregation and uh, want to keep growing together with you. So where we've been looking at roles in the church, you can turn in your Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter 2. title of the message this morning is Roles in the Church Part 3. We're on the third step of looking at this. I want to start out maybe in a little bit deeper point this morning. Um, when speaking to Christians, the New Testament epistles assume the presence of the Spirit in the life of the individual, at least when it's talking about when it's talking about giving them patterns of behavior, it, it assumes the presence of the Spirit in them. Uh, for instance, Romans 8, and, and I use this as, as an indicator of that. Romans 8, it says, If any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. In other words, if the Spirit of Christ is not dwelling in you and working in you, then you are not a Christian. He's not part of the body of Christ. So when the epistles put forward a pattern, then they assume that behind that pattern will be a spirit that will generate the pattern. And so there will be a pattern that's lived out, but that pattern has a right spirit behind it. And so by comparison to that, the same pattern being lived out without the right spirit is not what the New Testament is teaching. So when it teaches a pattern, it teaches a pattern that's lived through the right spirit, which is the spirit of Christ. So I've been sharing with you some patterns. Um, last time I preached, I talked primarily to the men. But I want to spend just, and I kind of finished up talking a little bit about patterns because it talks about that the young men are to show themselves a pattern of good works and everything they're to show themselves a pattern of good works. But one of the things about patterns is that it patterns set an expectation for life in young people. So the patterns that you have in your home and in your family and in your church those patterns will set an expectation about life in the lives of your children. So patterns are very important because they set an expectation of life or they, they frame how a young person, a child, views life. And so then it's critical that we understand, discover, and follow God-ordained patterns because they're best suited for human experience. So God gives us patterns of living 
in His Word. And when we follow those patterns of living, we are moving toward the best possible pattern of living. Or we're moving towards the best life by following those patterns. And since those patterns set the expectation of life, then by following God-ordained patterns, we are setting the stage for the next generation to also follow God. Because they have their, we're generating a, an expectation of them in their lives that this is what life should look like. So understanding and, and living out godly patterns is critical to the future. I want to just real quickly bring us up to where we are, where, where we're going to start today. So at first we talked about the church, and I want to say about the church, I want to say that when we think about the church, as we're going through this thing of the body, um, roles in the church, when we think about church, I want us to think about this congregation. You know, the, the universal church exists, but practically the church is this congregation because this is where we're interacting most often and most regularly. So we looked, first of all, at the church as a body. The church is a living organism where every part serves the whole by fulfilling its own role. So each role is fulfilled to serve the rest of the body, and at the same time, it replicates itself. And so it's both serving the rest of the body by fulfilling its role and also reproducing itself at the same time. Leadership in the kingdom is defined as a servant shepherd following the pattern of Christ in his earthly ministry. Leaders are chosen from the body because of their proximity to the example of Christ. This means the leader's role is primarily example. I say primarily example. And the flock is to follow this example toward a common goal. And so that leadership, shepherd-sheep relationship where it's bound by relationship. The church is a family. The church is a social unit that only functions properly when each group of individuals fulfills their responsibilities in relation to God and the other group with groups within the church. Age levels in the kingdom, and this is something I didn't really talk about, but I think it's important in to, for us to think about. Age levels in the kingdom relate more to spiritual development than physical age. However, physical time in the kingdom should relate more to spiritual development than physical age. Should I read that again? Physical time in the kingdom should correspond... Sorry, I'd have read that wrong. Let me start over. Age levels in the kingdom relate more to spiritual development than physical age. However, physical time in the kingdom should correspond with spiritual growth. So, we don't all come to Christ at the same age. But we all begin as a baby. You must be born again to enter the kingdom of God. So when we come into the kingdom at 60, or when someone comes into the kingdom at 20, they all must come through the new birth and begin as a spiritual infant 
and grow towards maturity. And so in that case, the age different, the physical age different would be very different. But that Christian who's started at 20 and has been a Christian for 10 years should have spiritual maturity happening in their lives. And the person who started at 60, when they're 70, they should have spiritual maturity happening in their lives. Hebrews chapter 5, verses 10 through 14 talk about that, where Paul, t- or sorry, we don't know who wrote the book of Hebrews, and I actually don't think it was Paul, but anyway. Um, Hebrews 5, 10 to 14, the writer tells the believers, he says, by now you ought to be teachers. So he's telling them that the time period that has passed since they became Christians should have sufficed for them to have grown sufficiently to be teaching. But he said, you haven't reached that point. You actually still need the first things. You you actually still need the, the milk. But you ought to be ready for meat by this time. And so the... Let me just put it this way. Give you an example. If you've been a Christian for 20 years, 21 years, then you're close to old enough to be to to be a father or a mother in the church. If you've been a Christian for 21 years. Okay, you get you get my comparison. If someone is 21 years old, you think, okay, they could probably be old enough to become a father or a mother or to get married. Correspondingly, if someone's been a Christian for 21 years, there should be a a level of maturity that's happened in their lives that they could be teaching other people. Um, and actually, we begin teaching earlier than that. So I don't want to give you, if you haven't been a Christian for 21 years, that doesn't mean you don't have a responsibility to teach other people. I'm just making a, I'm just making a comparison. Older men, fathers, are to be teachers and leaders. And every older man in the congregation should be actively bringing up his children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. But we're talking about the church as a family. We're not talking about that every man, every man should be leading his own household, yes. But we're talking about every man in the church, every older man in the church, ought to be leading his children in the church. Leading those who are younger than him in the church. Older men teaching is the mechanism in the New Testament for a successful church generationally. Older men, have you or are you establishing soundness of faith, solid strength through which you are mentoring others? And then young men, young men are to be establishing patterns of godly living, learning from the scripture and from older men who they know well and see the fruit of righteousness in their lives. They are to be employing their strength toward guiding their families in godliness and building up the church through participation. Young men, are you establishing patterns that are moving you toward being fathers in the church? And so now we come to women. I want to think just a little bit about this idea of roles and God-created roles. God-created roles are meant to enhance life or to make it better. And this is true, you know, from a spiritual standpoint, from a condition of our inner person. When we we live out what God has wanted us to live out, it enhances life spiritually within. But it's also true in a biological sense or in relation to our physical existence, our physical bodies. 
This should come as no surprise to you, but women are different than men in their biological makeup. Now, there are people in our world that disagree with that. So, you might not think that that's an issue, but if it's in our world, it's something we need to be aware of because we are to be interacting with our world and bringing them to Christ. If given free choice in a society, women will naturally focus on somewhat different areas than men do. There's research that's been done. This is completely secular research, and it was actually the, the results of the research were very surprising to the people who were, who were studying because their viewpoint didn't correspond with the results. And basically what the study did was it took countries that had a high level of egalitarian policy and that means equal rights policy and they rated the countries on the basis of of how much um, what their level of equal rights were and then between between genders and then they looked at how these people were engaging occupationally and they found that the higher level of opportunity freedom of opportunity, freedom of choice they gave, the more difference there was between what men chose and what women chose. And so the Scandinavian countries have a very high egalitarian policy, which means that their freedom and right to choose is very high between across, across the tables of gender. And what they found was that the men were primarily going into engineering into the STEM fields, into things like that, that had a high level of, of creativity, design, and danger. Uh, women were going into nursing, child care, and things relating to nurturing. And so, well, that was not what they expected to find because the people doing the study thought that, gen- that gender roles were something that were socially constructed or that they were made up by uh, the social environment in which people... Um, we're living, and um, that didn't turn out to be the case. It turned out to be the case that women like to do nurturing and care-related things, and men tend towards creative things and and uh, adventurous things and moving into uh, new fields and discovery. Why am I saying all these things? These biological differences that God created, He created for the good of humanity. And he created for our good as a community, for our good as a church. And we should, all of us, embrace the differences in our roles, the differences in our makeup as being something that God designed for our good. There's another thing that I, another aspect I think we should consider in the role of Christians, and that is the fact that we live in a fallen world. And Christ came into a fallen world as a perfect man with all power, and yet he subjected himself to the conditions of a fallen world and even chose to do things that made him a servant, even though he was a king. And he suffered tremendously at the hands of the fallen world in which he lived. And so will his followers. So our roles in this world reflect our interaction with the fallen conditions. And I can give you an example of that that I think you'll understand. 
Modesty is a result of the self-awareness following the fall. So in other words, modesty is something that was necessary after the fall because of a fallen world. Modesty was necessary. And we embrace modesty as being something that's important because of the relationship between, or because of our lives in a fallen world. So God calls us to be modest. Sisters, I would like to magnify your role this morning. You have an absolutely, tremendously powerful role in the development of the future. And I know that you already know that to a certain extent. It may be a bit more subtle and behind the scenes in the leadership role of men, but it is no less vital. No less vital to the future of the church. During her lifetime, a godly woman has the potential to touch every life in the congregation for the kingdom. Let's now look at our passage in 1 Timothy. I'm going to start reading at verse 9, and I'm going to begin there, and that immediately follows the verses about men praying, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. And so we're, we're looking at a worship focus. In like manner also that the women adorn themselves in modest apparel with shamefacedness and sobriety, not with broided hair or gold or pearls or costly array, but which becometh women professing godliness with good works, that the woman learn in silence with all subjection. But I suffer not a woman to teach nor to usurp authority over the man, but to be in silence. For Adam was first formed, then Eve, and Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived was in the transgression. Notwithstanding, she shall be saved in childbearing if they continue in faith and charity and holiness in sobriety. So the first verse here, verse 10, talks out, gives, gives us a contrast in presenting ourselves. And so Paul's writing here and he gives two contrasting ideas. There's the idea of outward adornment where she puts on things to draw attention to herself and then there's the presentation of herself that is inward, that is modest, um, sobriety. And so there's two different or two opposing presentations of herself. The first one draws attention to herself. The second one draws attention to God. In verse, oh, sorry, that was verse 9. Verse 10, and he talks about those things, and he says, which becometh women professing godliness with good works. Now, if you think about, if you reflect that back into Jesus' words uh, on the Sermon on the Mount, he said, that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. So the woman who wants to bring glory to God is going to present herself in a way that does not draw attention to her beauty, outward physical beauty, but rather will be modest with that beauty and thereby draw attention to God and to the good works that she does as a result of her love for Him. that's coming out of her love for Him. Verses 11 and 12 
expressed that a woman is not to take action that men have already been given instruction to take. So a woman is not to step into the role of a man. And like I said, this is specifically looking at worship, and we'll look at that a little bit more later. Oh no, it's here. I just didn't see it in my notes. Women are not to put themselves forward in public worship to fulfill men's roles. That's what these it's part of what these two verses are saying. To teach means to give instruction, to usurp authority. I found this word very interesting when I looked it up. The primary, the first definition in Thayer is one who with his own hands kills himself or another. That word that's there for usurp authority means to get a hold of something and take control of it. Or, second definition, acting on one's own authority. This thing of this thing of silence is clearly referring to public worship related and leadership related things. Uh, verse eleven, it's tied to learning, and verse twelve, it's tied to authority. And so, this role of women, the women are not to take this role away from men. They're not to step into the role that men have already been instructed to take. The historic position of the early church and also in Anabaptism is that women will give testimony and share in singing worship, but not in instructive roles in mixed gender worship. So that's more the historic view. Um, and so somewhat similar to what we do today, I did find some of the early church writings on this subject to be interesting. I want to talk about them a little bit more here in a little bit. I want to move now to verse 13. Paul brings up some really interesting things here. And I don't know that I have an answer to to all of what is represented here. But the first thing Paul brings up in verse 13 is a creation principle. He said, God had a creation order. The man was first created, and then the woman. And re reflecting that into the roles that men and women have. And so men and women were created with different roles, the man was created first, the woman created second, and that reflects a role relationship. But then he also points to the fall, where he says, Adam was not deceived. Or in other words, when he ate the fruit, he knew exactly what he was doing. But Eve was deceived. She was tricked into making a decision about the future and consequently took the lead into sin. And Paul is not using this to demean Eve or to demean women. He's using this to say that Eve's role was not to lead. And when she did take that initiation to lead, she took the human race in a direction that it, God did not want it to go. And so Paul is using that as a backdrop to show the church, to show Timothy that there was a creation principle and also a creation pattern 
or a, a pattern from the fall that could be reflected on to understand why he was making this, um, giving this directive about women. So in reading the early church fathers relating to these verses, and also 2 Corinthians 14, verses 34 and 35, where it says, Let your women keep silent in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak, but they are to be submissive, as the law also says. And if they want to learn something, let them ask their own husbands at home, for it is shameful for a man to speak, sorry, for it is shameful for a woman to speak in church. So as I read down across the the different things that the church fathers had to say on these, these two passages, their focus was very much relating to modesty. So the idea was that a woman should present herself in a mixed setting. A woman should present herself with modesty and discretion. And that they even at one point talked about a woman speaking out as in church as being someone who was pert in nature. Or in other words, someone who put herself forward. And so they very much focused this, um, these verses on the idea of modesty and discretion um, and a woman not putting herself forward. But also along with that, they also indicated that her presence, her quiet presence in the assembly, in the church, presented a quiet strength, a quiet power that was there. And I would say that I think that's very much something that we can sense in godly women is a quiet strength that they, without saying anything, present something that is very powerful and cause us to something more than what the world is calling us to. So this thing of silence of women in collective worship seems to be the response also, somewhat at least, of a fallen world condition. A form of modesty that needs to be modeled because the original creation order was broken. Now, that doesn't mean that the original creation order doesn't, didn't, won't still exist, say, in heaven or at the end of time. But rather that we are living in a fallen world and God wants that order to be modeled. And that's part of the way that the church models it is, is when we are together collectively and we are worshiping together collectively that the men lead and the women follow that or are silent and don't, don't take that lead. So I want to look now at verse 15. What does it mean, saved in childbearing? And I was uncertain about where I was going to, what I was going to find when I started digging into this verse. Well, the word there for childbearing can also mean maternal duties. Filling the role of a mother in faith and love and holiness. Eve was not created to lead. She was created to 
mother the human race or to be a maternal part of the command for that God gave humanity to be fruitful and multiply. Eve was to be the mother and Adam said she was the mother of all living. And so she is to be she is to was to fulfill a role of maternal care for those around her. To care for and nurture others. And now in a fallen world that means to put on the band-aids and salve too. Or in other words, in a fallen world they're hurting people. And so mom has that caring tenderness that puts the, puts on that band-aid in a way when dad is saying, all right, brush it off. It's not that bad. Come on. You can do it. And we're trying to toughen him up, but mom's giving that tender touch of care and nurture to that wound, to that injury. And so there's a biological reason why there are way more female nurses than male. Because women tend towards nurturing, naturally tend towards nurturing, towards this mothering maternal care aspect of their creative purpose. And I'm not saying that this is all of what it's saying here, because I don't think it is. I think if all of our women said, we're going to be, we're going to be childless, we're going to choose not to bear children, that would be the end of our society. And so part of this childbearing is, and maternal duty is, carrying out um, bearing children. But women, whether you have born physical children or not, you have a family, the family of God, and God has called you to be a mother in His family. And so you have an opportunity in the family of God to be to fulfill this mothering role. So now let's move to Titus 2. I'm going to start reading at verse 3. The aged women likewise, that they be in behaviors becometh holiness, not false accusers, not given to much wine, teachers of good things, that they may teach the young women to be sober, to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, keepers at home, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God be not blasphemed. We'll stop reading there. Verse 3 tells older women, and maybe you're wondering what older women are. Well, I gave you kind of a rough de definition of older men last time that started about with me somewhere around in, in my age bracket. But don't forget that spiritual age might be somewhat different than physical age. Maybe you're younger than me, but you've advanced farther than me. And so, therefore, you're already at this stage where you ought to be fulfilling this role. Lives that fit with holiness. Embracing the life God has for you. Not false accusers. Speaking comes from thinking. What are your thought processes? And are you fulfilling your role? Or are you speaking against others, accusing others of things? Not given too much wine. Not allowing things to cloud proper thinking. Teachers of good things. Your life should be a message of what is good. 
A truly beautiful model will be a woman who models verses 3 through 5. That's what a truly beautiful woman will be. That is a model. Now, our, our world has a meaning for the word model. And that is attached to a maidenly image. In other words, it's attached to a young woman image. So to be a model in this world is to be a woman who looks young, who has womanly attributes, but is young. And what I'm saying is that a model in the kingdom of God is a woman who lives out verses 3 through 5. And you older women are to then teach those things to the younger women. You are to teach, ladies. So I just got done saying you're not to speak in the assembly. But you are to teach. And you're to teach the young women. God has said so. It is your God-given responsibility to teach. And I want to share with you something that I'm concerned about. There seems to be somewhat of a paranoia of Sunday school teaching among far too many older women in Anabaptist circles. In a church that follows Titus 2, the Sunday school coordinator should have a very easy job because the men are to teach and the women are to teach. And so the Sunday school, co- the Sunday school coordinator, the class coordinator's job ought to be very easy. And like I said to the, to the men earlier, that that is only the beginning. So it's kind of like I was talking about the outreach committee. Our Sunday school class is a beginning point for teaching more broadly in the congregation, more personally, more independently, more individually. If you struggle to fill these positions, how likely are you to meet the greater call of teaching through voluntarily developed relationships? If you struggle to teach in an imp- shall I say impersonal, somewhat impersonal format of Sunday school class, how likely are we to perform that teaching in a personal one-on-one relationship that we are seeking and developing? In other words, the older women are told to teach the younger women. So the older women are to be seeking and developing relationships that will, through which they will be able to teach these things to the younger women. Older women, have you bought into the world's idea that the maiden is the only place where there's real beauty? Have you missed God's call to move from maiden to matron? And by matron, I mean a married woman, especially one who is mature and staid or dignified and has an established social position. Is it important for our church to have women who have these motherly characteristics and are able to teach Titus 3 through 5 to our young women? And I hope you say, yes, it is. And if you say, yes, it is, then I hope you as older women are seeking to make yourselves to be that. I want to call you to do that. God designed you to form the next generation from the cradle to the grave. 
You have your hands are touching your as a mother, your hands touch the people who are now adults. If you're an older woman, you have you have adult children. Your hands touched and nurtured those young people. And now you have the opportunity to teach other young women who are holding the infants that are tomorrow's church. You loved your husband who is now an older man in the church and you gave him through your love the power to move forward as a man of God. The strength, the inspiration. God wants you to catch a vision for the value of your role and to see and take up the tremendous responsibility of guiding the maidens towards that same vision. Older women, is your life an inspiration to the maidens? Is it an inspiration that you love being a woman of God? Can they find in you a teacher who can help them to understand and embrace the challenges of motherhood? Have you, are you establishing yourself spiritually so that you can teach them? Is it possible that so many of our young women are going to blogs and podcasts because they're not finding this need fulfilled in their home churches because they're not finding someone to teach them. And so they're going to blogs and podcasts to find teaching because they're not finding that binding relationships of someone they can trust who can teach them how to fulfill Titus 2. I'm reaching for something with these questions and it's something similar to what I was trying to express with the older men when I told them that the problems in our church are not a youth problem, they're a father problem. And here's, and I, I want to talk about this more in a, in a later message, but we need fathers and mothers in our churches who will unreservedly apply themselves, or I'll say ourselves, to the formation of the future. Are we completely unreservedly applying ourselves to the formation of the future? I'm either going to have to start writing less notes or preach faster or stop ad-libbing as much, something. But I've got another 10 minutes to finish this message, and I hope you can bear with me because I think it ought to be finished. I think to break it up now would be, would lose something. Young women's roles. Young ladies, I have set the stage for what God values, for what's valuable in God's eyes, or I've tried to. That God doesn't want you to stay a maiden forever. God has something absolutely beautiful, valuable, and purposeful in your life, for your life. He wants you to form the next generation to be an active role in that formation. And your life will either enhance or dim what God considers to be valuable in womanhood. So you have a lot of choices out in front of you to make if you're young. Be sober. That means self-discipline. To love your, love your husbands. The love of a good woman inspires a man to be all that he can be. And this gives your home a good leader. And this gives the church a good leader. 
Love your children. You are nurturing the future, the church of the future. Godly men to lead, godly women to nurture their children. Be discreet, not following your desires. Chaste, pure, modest, and clean. Keepers at home, someone who cares for domestic needs. Good. And that word good there, the Greek word means a good constitution or nature. Pleasant, agreeable, joyful, happy. A good nature. Pleasant, agreeable, joyful, happy. Obedient to their own husbands. And that means, that word obedient there means to subdue. And the word subdue means to be under and give due. So it means to give him his due place. Give him his place as leader. Don't take, try to take that place away from him. Give him his place. Allow him to lead. And he won't always do it perfectly. And Dana helped me to see some places this week where I wasn't doing so well. So, sometimes you might have to encourage him, as she did me. Why would you do all this? That the word of God be not blasphemed. Your role as a young woman is enhancing or taking away from the word of God. If you follow him, if you follow this directive, you will enhance the beauty of God's Word. Consider how Eve was deceived by choosing her own way and the destruction and misery it brought to the human race. And so when we choose our own way, we bring destruction and misery. Young ladies, godly, modest young women have an attractiveness that encourages purity in all who see it. You encourage, when you are a godly, modest young woman, you, can, you encourage purity in others. 1 Peter 3, 1. Wives likewise be submissive to your own husbands, that even if some do not obey the word, they without a word may be won by the conduct of their wives, when they observe your chaste conduct, accompanied by fear or reverence. Do not let your adornment be merely, and that word I'm reading from the New King James, that word merely is added there, so I'm going to delete it. Do not let your adornment be outward, arranging the hair, wearing gold, putting on fine apparel. Rather, let it be the hidden person of the heart with the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and a quiet spirit, which is very precious in the sight of God. So I want to go back quickly to likewise to what? And 1 Peter 2 21, it's the last verse of the previous chapter. For to this were you called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow in his steps. And so we're looking, we're saying that Christ set an example of sacrifice for us. Likewise, you wives do this. Just like Christ sacrificed himself, you sacrifice yourself to this role that God has called you to. Christ sacrificed Himself to the role that God called Him to. And and the Word of God is calling you to sacrifice yourself to the role that God has called you to. 
and that is to fulfill these things. Now I want to read verses 3 and 4 again, but I'm going to read them differently. I'm going to read them by taking out what he says not to be and only reading what he says to be. Let your adornment be the hidden person of the heart with the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and a quiet spirit which is very precious in the sight of God. That gentle, quiet adornment of your life is very precious in the sight of God because what God is concerned about is the transfer of truth generationally. And He sees the impact, the tremendous impact that you as mothers have on the future. And so to see a woman who is living out this gentle and quiet spirit is very precious in His sight because He knows that that's going to impact their children and their husband and all the people around them in a tremendously powerful way. Your value to the church, sisters, is inestimable. Before the fall, with only man around, God said it was not good. But with you there, He said it was very good. And maybe that seems a little humorous, but I want to bring out the importance that God put on the creation of woman but also on the creation of her role in relation to man. Your role in the church is unique, powerful, and cannot be replaced by men. The church of God needs you. May God give us the grace to continue to live out His roles for us. Let's have a song.